Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for standing and welcome to Southridge Church. We're excited to see each and every one of you. If this is your first time at Southridge, we just want to welcome you. My name is Bakai. I'm the pastor here at the church. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So many great things are happening and going on at our church, and we want you to stay connected with them. So if you say, I need to take the next step and learn more about this ministry, on your way in, you received a little packet. It has a connect card, and you can fill out that card. Maybe it's your first or second time here. You fill out that card and let us know how we can pray for you, how we can uh, encourage you, stay connected with you. And one of our leaders, they will follow up with you this week, and we want to stay in contact. And you can drop that card off in the offering basket at this pass at the end of the service. Or you can go to the hotel lobby where we have a gift for you. Once again, we are thrilled that you're here in our service. Would you take your Bible to the book of Exodus chapter number two? And once again, I need to make this public service announcement every once in a while. I talk fairly fast especially when uh, I have a lot to cover. And so I apologize in the first service, somebody came through and uh, they were just doing a great job. They were translating uh, for several uh, ladies who speak Portuguese. And she was like, oh my goodness, I've never had to translate so fast. And I said, I'm so sorry. So uh, once again, I do tend to talk a little bit fast. I'll try to slow it down. And if you miss anything, Man, we've got a podcast, we've got a YouTube channel, so you can go back and listen to those. But I'm glad you're here. Exodus chapter number two, we are concluding a series entitled For San Jose, because we want this area to know what we are for, because, there we go, I was wondering, does it have an off button? Uh, We live in an area where people don't go to church, most people. And you know it, you're around coworkers, friends, I think it's cool that you might go to church, but people just kind of seem like, ah, I'm not really into that church thing. And then you ask, well, why not? And then they'll tell you all the reasons why they're not for church. And that is the reason they're not for church, because they feel like the church is not for them. Even beyond that, there are people that don't feel like God is for them. And they don't understand what John 3, 16 says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, think about that verse. For God so loved, now take out the word world and put your name. For God so loved Micaiah. And it's just not a regular love. It's so loved. God really loves us. God is for us. And so we can be for San Jose. And we could be for our city, before our community. And then the week after that, we talked about sometimes my prayer is not God's plan. And how do we wrestle with that? When we've got a plan, it's not happening how we thought it would. But then we came to this conclusion, our prayers may not have been God's plan. But if God's plan is to reach people, then that needs to be my prayer. Because God is all about people. Uh, The reason Carissa is leaving the comfort of America is because she cares about People. The reason we started a church is because we care about people. It is all about people here at Southridge. It's all about you. It's all about the people that you know and you love. That's who we want to know and we want to love. And then last week, we heard a great message about that fact that we are saved to serve. We're here to make a difference. And we have people sign up and join ministries, and that's exciting that people are saying, I want to make a difference. 
Well, this week we're going to conclude, and I know it kind of seems like, man, we don't spend a lot of time on this topic of being for San Jose because there's, there's so many more things to talk about. And you would be right. Uh, this is by no means is an exhaustive list about how our church is for San Jose. It's more like an appetizer. It's laying a groundwork, a foundation. And this will be a reoccurring theme in the life of our church that we are for them. It's why we're, you're seeing it on sweatshirts. It's why you see it on uh, uh bumper stickers. We want people to know that we are for them, and we want people to know that there is a church that cares about them and wants them to know about Jesus and the gospel. Well, today, I want to bring a message out of Exodus chapter number two, but as we dive in, let me first just kind of preface the fact that uh, it kind of, this message was kind of birthed out of several things, but this week, uh, Angel, the one and only, came to me, and he asked me a question on Monday, and he said, did you think it was going to take this long. And, you know, I was sitting there just thinking, I was like, okay, how should I answer him? You know, there is the, you know, the Christianese answer that is just like, well, I just knew I needed to be faithful and take my time. There's that answer. Or there's the real answer. The time's like, yeah, man, no, I never thought it would take this long. You know, there, there, there's which answer do I give him? you know, and, uh, you know, sometimes you want to give an honest answer, and then sometimes you're like, well, I feel like I should give that Christianese answer, but he asked the question, and I think it's a great one. Did you think it would take this long, and I think I could ask you the same thing. Did you think it would take this long to have a healthy marriage? Did you think it would take this long to see your children come to Christ? Did you think it would take this long to see this part of your life transform and change? Have you ever been frustrated by how long things are taking? Have you been frustrated by the pace of progress, that progress never seems to be happening fast enough, that you just think, man, I just wish the kids would grow up a little bit faster, or you wish that, man, this this promotion, this raise, or this thing would get fixed sooner. You're in a rush, you're in a hurry for that next thing. And faith and frustration cannot coexist, my friend. They can't, because faith is all about learning to wait well. It's learning to say, no, I'm in a waiting season, but I'm fine with that. I'm okay because I trust God's timing. And that's the title of the message. Timing is everything. Well, with your Bibles open to Exodus chapter number two, let's dive into scripture. Verse number one says, about this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son, She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. Can I pause and turn this message into a parenting seminar just for a moment? I love the fact that these parents saw something special in their child. Too often, we are not seeing anything special in our children. And because they saw something special, they did something. They hid their child. They hid them from something that would want to hurt them or harm them. There are things in culture and society today that are not helpful to your children. There are people that want to influence them. There are TV shows that, yes, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I wouldn't let your kids watch it. There are movies I would not let your children sit under. There is music I would not let them listen to. There are friends I would not let them have. There are places I would not let them go, and there are things I would not let them eat, and there are things I would not let them inhale, vape, smoke, passively, uh, uh, you know, whatever, whatever. There are things in your life you say, this is my child, this is my future. I'm going I'm to protect him from that. And these parents said, hey, this child, we're going to protect him. All right, parenting seminar over. Verse number three. But when she could no longer hide him, that verse is loaded. 
separating a mother from her child? The difficulty of that? But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in a basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby sister approached the princess. Should I go and fetch one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me. The princess told the baby's mother, I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Many years later, when Moses had grown, He went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of the fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend, Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, Who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you that we can open up your word. I pray that it would speak to us. I pray that it would help us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict where we need conviction, that it would encourage where we need encouragement, that your word would come alive in this room, that you would do a great work in us so that we can impact San Jose for the better. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. You know, God gave me this message uh, several months ago as I was just walking. I was taking my dog, Kalani, for a walk, and I was a little bit uh, discouraged about something. So you take it to the Lord when you're discouraged. And I was walking, and I was talking about God, and we were just kind of having a conversation. Now, God does not speak to me audibly. That's not how it happens, but I feel an impression on my heart. And when I feel that prompting of God, I try to listen. I try to quiet my mind. I try not to be listening to music or a podcast or an audio book. I try to let God have that space and just talk to me. And while he was talking, I was frustrated about how long things take. I want things to happen faster in my life. And what I'm learning now is timing is everything. Timing is so important. The difference between a raw steak and a rare steak is timing. The difference between the quarterback and the receiver scoring a touchdown or causing an interception is timing. The difference between some jokes landing and some jokes bombing is timing. The instrumentalists, as they were playing, they were all trying to get the right timing. Everything in life is about timing. It was a Saturday morning in September. I got up early, and because I was up early, there was a young lady who was running on that college campus. Her name was Jane, and the right timing happened, and I said, I want to marry that girl, spend the rest of my life with her. I want to involve the government and get a contract and make this thing legal. I'm like, yes, this and that, all in that moment of time, because timing is everything. 
And we understand that, but we don't often see timing in this passage. But I want us to look at it with fresh eyes and open hearts and see what timing has to do with this passage. You see, verse number one even starts out and says, about this time. But we read the Bible, but we don't read the Bible. And sometimes we got to go back and find out what's going on. What time was it? They're not talking about a chronological time. They were talking about the uh, environment. Right now, some of you don't like the time. You're like, I don't really like the times we live in. I don't like the fact that we pay high gas prices. I don't like inflation. I don't like the fact that Amazon Prime is no longer same day delivery or next day. It's more of like, yeah, when we get around to it, you know, and uh, just kind of uh, the timing seems off with everything. You may not like who's in office. Or you may like who's in office. You may not like politics. You may love politics. You may not like what's happening in the world. You may love what's happening in the world. But some of us feel that I don't really like the time. That's the context in verse number one, the times. But what were those times? Well, you got to go back to chapter number one in verse number 22, it says, then Pharaoh gave this order. And remember, they lived in Egypt, and Pharaoh's the chief, the king, the one who makes the rules and writes the laws. And he gave an order to all his people, throw every Hebrew, newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. That was the time, the environment that they lived. Hostile, difficult. But notice what these parents did. About that time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married, and the woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Many times people are like, oh, it's just not a good time to have kids. It's just hard. It's difficult. There's never going to be a good time for kids. I'm just going to say it right now. It's just kids are super inconvenient. And I thought, and I would talk to parents that have raised kids, and I was like, does it stop at 18? They were like, (laughs) no. No. How many rooms do you have have in your house? I was like, four? Yeah, it's not going to stop for a long time. Because they see those empty rooms, and they realize that parents only need one of them, and they like to move back in, stay a while, visit for a long time, you know, long weekends and stuff. And they were like, no, it doesn't end at 18. It just kind of keeps on going, this responsibility. But that timing was difficult. So we see in verse number one, it's a bad time. It's a bad time. And then we see in verse number three, and when she could no longer hide him, She got a basket made of papyrus reeds and wrapped it with tar and pitch and put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. Verse 3, I see there's not enough time. Not enough time for this mother and this child. But then we continue on. Verse 4, it says the baby's sister stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came. Soon, that has to do with time. I think... Oftentimes, we don't consider God's divine timing. What if she would have obeyed Pharaoh's command right away? This baby would have been gone, but she waited three months to hide the baby. And then the day, and how long did it take her to make that little basket, that little ark of safety and put the baby in there and put him in the water? Do you see God's divine providence all over here? That God is sovereign, he's in control, that it was at the right time they put it in. And then the Bible says, soon the princess came. And how do they know that place to go? Was all of this just happenstance? You see, this is why we need to trust God's timing. This is why we need to say, God, your timing is better than my timing, so I just want to be in step with you. Guide me, God. Direct me. And then the princess, she opens the, 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 the basket, it says in verse number six. And then the little boy was crying, so she felt sorry for him. And she said, this must be one of the Hebrew children. And at that moment, imagine the sister, Miriam, thinking to herself, oh no, 
This is the daughter of the guy who wrote the rule who said all babies that are Hebrew, that are newborn must die. And she's holding my little baby brother. What's going to happen next? Can you imagine the tension in the text? And feel it for a moment. That it's like the gladiators in the arena. And all of a sudden, is the emperor going to put a thumbs up or a thumbs down? What's going to happen? And here's Miriam as a little girl. She's saying, that's my baby brother, but she's got to be quiet. And then hope, relief fills her heart. She sees that she has compassion on her little baby brother. And then we see in verse number seven, then the baby sister approached the princess. This is time too. She waited for the right time. She wasn't going to approach too early or too soon or too late. She had to be careful on her timing. Timing is everything. Don't you agree? We live in a world where we don't understand that timing is everything. And we have to get back to the same because often when we are younger, we kind of want things to move faster and further. And we don't think about the consideration of time and trusting God's timing. But then we see that she waited for the right time, just in the right time. You see, we need to trust God's timing and watch things fall into place. Can you trust God's timing? Can you say, God, I'm going to trust you. I, I, I want to move things further. I want to push things. I want to make things happen. Because if you don't, the opposite happens. You rush things and you watch them fall apart. Do you want things to fall into place or do you want things to fall apart? And the difference is simply how you handle time. Because we're going to see in verse number 11, notice the Bible says this, many years later, once again, passage of time, Moses had grown up. He went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit the people again, he saw a Hebrew man fighting. Why are you beating your friend, Moses said, the one started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be a prince and a judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? You see, Moses, maybe he bought into the press clippings. Maybe he bought into the lie that he was something special. And because he was special, he was above the rules and laws of the land. You see this today in political figures. You see it today in Hollywood actors. You see it today with Fortune 500 CEOs, where they felt like because they were special above the rules that they could break the rules. But yet, we as Christians, we do very similar things. We think, God, I know better than you. I'm going to make it, and I'm going to pull this thing, and I'm going to do it in my timing. I'm not going to wait on you. I'm not going to pursue you. You see, and mark this down, if you rush it, you're likely to ruin it. You see, Moses, he rushed it. He's like, I'm going to save somebody. He had a great sense of justice. I don't think that is wrong because your uh, drive is birthed out of your desires. And his desire was to make a difference. His desire was good, but it manifested itself in a very wrong way. Oftentimes, people start out with good desires, but that, that drive and how they accomplish it, that's what can be wrong. And they do things, and it could be the right thing, but at the wrong time, it's still the wrong thing. You and I need to say, God, I want to trust your timing. I don't want to rush it. I want to trust your timing. And he allowed his drive to outpace him. He allowed it to push him into something. You see, knowing the difference between apathy and taking action is important. And you and I, we don't know how to balance those two oftentimes. 
We don't know if we, am I being apathetic or should I take action? What do I do here, God? Because anybody that's married in this room, you know, guys, we know. Do I say something? Do I not say something? That is the age-old question. We're like, this can get me in a whole lot of trouble. I did some marriage counseling on Thursday, and the guy was telling me, and I was like, man, welcome to marriage. He said, I never know what to say when she tries on an outfit. I was like, nobody does. Nobody does. It's a crapshoot. Roll the dice. You don't know. And then if you say, looks good, they don't believe you. They know you're lying, all right? So I say, beat them to the punch. Try to say something before they can say something. You say, it doesn't matter what they're wearing. Just say it always looks good. Beat them to it. Say something before they could say it because you have a little bit less chance of getting in trouble that way. But I said, you and I, we struggle with knowing. Do I take action? Do I not? Do I move? Do I stay? What do I do in this situation? And we see Moses, he rushed it and he was likely to ruin it. But understand our drive always outpaces our development. Acts chapter number seven lets us know that Moses is 40 years old at this point when he murders the Egyptian. So you would think he's 40 years old. He's developed. He's mature. He's wise. He's maybe moved out of the palace and maybe he's gotten an apartment in downtown Egypt. You know, maybe he started working a little side job. Maybe he's paying his own cell phone bill. Maybe he's paying his own uh, groceries and insurance. You know, maybe Moses has grown up a little bit. Nope. He murdered a guy. Nope. He hasn't developed. You see, our drive always outpaces our development. And we live in a culture now that does not want to wait for development. We don't want to wait for it. We just want to rush it. We don't want to develop. We don't want to prepare. But understand this. Everyone wants the prize, but no one wants the process. No process, no prize. But we live in a culture that raised a generation and says, you get a participation trophy. What did they do? They sat on the bench and picked their nose. Yeah, but man, they picked some really big ones. Are you kidding me right now? And we created a culture that now says, reward me for showing up. Did you do anything? No, but I feel like I should get a pat on the back. And we didn't understand that that's created a culture in Christianity that says, God should love me and I don't really have to do anything for him. Yes, God loves you, but why he loves you is different. And we need to trust and say, God, look, I want to do things right. I want to be right before you. I want to live a right lifestyle. And you and I, too often, we are not developed enough. And we need to let God develop us. And we love to skip the process. We don't want to go through it. We don't want to wrestle with, hey, there's going to be difficult seasons in marriage and relationship. There's going to be a difficult season at a new job. There's going to be difficult seasons with a new employer. It's going to be difficult when you start school. And that's okay. It's meant to be hard. It's part of the process. But we live in a culture today. It says, oh no, if it takes effort, you must be doing something long, wrong because we praise effortlessness. We look at Angel and we're like, man, he could strum that guitar. Man, he sounds good. He does it so effortlessly. I bet he was just born right out of the mother's womb with the guitar in his hand and just singing. No, that's not how he was doing. That's not. It took hours and hours and hours of practice getting calluses on his fingers to the point where he perfected it. You look at these instrumentalists. That did not just happen. They worked at it. And some of the most talented athletes you've ever seen did not have a lot of ability. Michael Jordan's first coach cut him from the team. They said, I don't see the talent. But he worked at it. Tom Brady. You know, nobody wanted him. But yet now he's one of the greatest. Some would say, no, he is the goat. Not one of them. He is. But understand, they work at it. Why is it in Christianity we don't want to work at anything? 
I said a thing and nobody agreed, but that's okay. Why is it as Christians, we don't want to work at anything? The Christian life is about reading, praying, studying, seeking God. And saying, all right, God, I'm going to get into this word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to work at this thing because I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know what this thing says. I'm going to get it, God. I know it's going to be work, but the work is worth it if I work it. And yet too often, we aren't willing to put in the effort, but we're like, God, bless me, take care of me, provide for me. And God's like, man, go through some process and let me do some work. Let God work on you. We love the verse, iron sharpens iron. But do you know what that takes? That takes friction. Friction. And we don't want to go through any process that involves friction. We want life to be comfortable, but you can't fulfill your calling in your comfort zone. And yet many of us were like, no, I want to be comfortable as I fulfill my calling. Chris is not going to be comfortable in Uganda, but she's still willing to go. We have gotten too comfortable. It's now turned into complacency and we aren't allowing God to take us through a developmental process. Write this down. It's powerful. It could change your life. My impact is tied to my investment. You say, I want to make an impact. Then you need to invest. It comes with an investment. The Bible says this, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. You want a big impact? You need a big investment. The Bible also goes on. The apostle Paul said in in Corinthians, he said, he that sows sparingly is going to reap sparingly. But he that sows bountifully is going to reap bountifully. It's called the law of sowing and reaping. I can take a little bit of seed and I can get a big harvest. One seed does not produce one corn. One seed produces a stock filled with ears of corn. You see, the bigger the investment, the bigger the impact. Do you get me, church? Say it and nod your head. I know it's hot. I know it's sleepy. It's okay. Maybe we do jumping jacks this morning in this place. It's all good. But when you and I are looking at life, we don't understand that it's going to take an investment. And that's what we're scared of. We're like, well, I don't know if I want to invest. And this is why the Apostle Paul says, and let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. If you don't give up, you will reap. If you stay at the marriage, you stay at the child rearing, you stay at the job, you stay at Bible reading, you will get it. There are things that we just think, man, it should be effortless. No. It's going to take some effort, and effort's okay. It's okay that you had to work at it. And here's what's amazing. We love to hear it takes people hours and hours of practice. But yet we're not willing to do the work hours and hours of practice. We want to see it in others, and we celebrate in others, but we're not. Come on, we've all heard the adages of the people that they got there first, stayed latest. They stayed, and they shut the place down. They got there early. They worked hard. You want to rear good kids? Read some books on it. Go to parenting seminars. Spend time. You want to have a good marriage? Go to a marriage conference. Read some books on it. Pray and study and say, I'm going to work at this thing, work at this thing, work at this thing. And stop assuming it comes natural for everybody because it does not. It doesn't. We have to work at these things. But if you rush it, you'll ruin it. So we need to learn to trust God's timing. No sacrifice, no success. You want success, it's going to take some sacrifice. And we've got to get back to that. Someone recently told me that you want the fire to fall? Well, there needs to be a sacrifice on that altar if you want that fire to fall. You want God to do something big in your life? What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give up? What are you saying? God, I want you to do something in my life. And God's like, okay. The fire falls when there's a sacrifice on the altar. But we live in a Christian, uh, Christian environment that says, no, 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 no. I don't want to have to give up to go up. I don't want to have to give up anything. But here Moses, he needed to learn the lesson. But here's what God spoke to me. Because at the time, I was like, God, I want to reach more. I want to see more people saved. 
I want to make a bigger difference. Because Moses, he saved one man and it delayed him 40 years. He went after one person. Did he save that person's life? Yeah, he saved one. But how long would it take him if he had to fight every Egyptian every day? He wouldn't be able to do it. The first day, ah, I killed an Egyptian. Now I got to go back out the second day. Got to get another one. Got to get another one. Got to get another one. This is going to take too long. I can't get everybody. But what did God do at the Red Sea in just a moment with all the Egyptians? God can do more in a moment than you and I can do in a lifetime. And that's why we got to trust God's timing. That's why we got to say, God, I'm going to trust your timing. And this is what you and I need to know. When you are ready, you will reach more. When you are ready, you will reach more. When you are ready, more will happen in your life. In the book of Acts, we see that it says 40 years later in the desert. 40 years later. Wait a minute. He was 40 years old when he went to uh, Midian. And then 40 years there, he's 80 years old. Do you realize that God used an 80-year-old man to lead millions out? And here you and I are worried that, oh, man, my, my biological clock, my this, my that. I don't know if I got enough time. Uh, God's sitting back and saying, are you kidding me right now? I used an 80-year-old to change the world. I know, I know, today we kind of have what I call ageism. You know what ageism is? We look at people that might have a little bit of gray, might be hunched over a little bit, might, might move a little bit slower, and we think they got nothing to offer the world. Well, can I tell you, you could never, ever, ever be more wrong. Our problem is that fact that we do have ageism and we won't admit it. We want younger, smarter, hipper, cooler, more trendy. That's what we're thinking. Instead of just saying, wait a minute, who's, who, whose marriage has made it for 50 years? If you're getting marriage advice from your single friend, that is your fault. That is your fault. That, there, there's not a whole lot of ways to fix stupid. If you are trying to find a way to make it in the Christian life, Look for the person who's had to bury some children or maybe buried a spouse and somebody who's fought some battles. You say, hey, how are you still here in church? Because I have a hard time just getting out of bed to come to church for the 11 o'clock service. How do you do it? Because you got, you got joy in your face. And man, I see you lift your hands and worship. And when you worship, you can't, you're like the pastor. You can't sing the whole save your life, but man, you're into it. And it's like, you're not doing it for anybody but God. And it's powerful to watch. What, what is your secret? What are you doing? You see, when you're ready, you will reach more. And the, Moses had to learn this. And it took him 40 years to learn this lesson. And here's what I know about you. You're smarter than Moses. It didn't take him 40. It took him 80 years. I think you're going to get it before then. I think the lessons God has for you, he's going to teach you. He's going to show you. And in his mercy, he's going to show you that you're not just going to save one, you're going to save millions. Understand this and get this down. God chose Moses suddenly, but he developed him slowly. Because God is into crockpot. You ever had a good pork roast on a Sunday afternoon that somebody put in the crockpot early Sunday morning and you open the door to the house you got the potatoes and you got the carrots in there. Oh man, who's hungry? I know I am. And you walk in and that smell just fills the house because there's something good. There's something that's been slow cooking. There's something that's got the juice fall off the bone, melt in your mouth. It's, it's ready. 
And God wants you and I to understand that it's okay that things are happening slowly. God picked you. He called you. He spoke to you suddenly, but he's going to develop you slowly. And that's okay because he doesn't want you to miss it. And I'm thankful for that because here's what I hate. I hate this and I know you do too. You ever had a teacher, a mentor, a trainer talk too fast like this pastor and you're like, whoa, 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 slow down. I'm missing everything you're saying. I'm supposed to do the what with the when and the how and the why. Yeah, you'll get it. And they just walk off. You're like, what? They give you all these buttons, knobs, and dials of this work, and you got to get it all, and you're like, I'm going to figure this thing out. You hate it when that happens. God doesn't do that to you. But yet now you're on the other side of it, and you're mad that God isn't doing that to you. And God's like, no, no, no. I move at the pace of grace. I know how much you can take. I'm not putting too much, and I'm not putting too little. I know the exact amount of pressure to put on you to get you to where I want. This is why the Apostle Paul had to say in Philippians chapter number one, verse number six, being confident of this thing. He said, there's one thing I'm confident about, that he which began a good work in me will complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. He started this, he's going to finish it. And you and I can rest in that fact that God started something and he will complete it. So you and I don't have to worry, we don't have to wonder, we don't have to fret. We can just step back. And maybe that's the verse you needed today. Because you're like, God, I don't know if it's worth it. And God's like, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's more than worth it. Because when you're ready, you're going to reach more people. You're going to do more when you're ready. So don't rush this season. Don't rush this moment. You see, you and I, we don't like Midian. If you were to look at Midian, the country or the area that Moses was at today, you would hate it. It's all deserts, barren. You wouldn't plan a vacation, a honeymoon, a trip there. It's all desert. Now, don't come to me afterward and say, I like the desert. Stop it. Stop it. here Moses spent 40 years and God just developed him in silence you see Moses is like a seed and seed needs soil to produce a harvest and here's the thing about Moses why he's like a seed the Bible says that they put him into the water and then the Bible says that Pharaoh's daughter hold on let me ask a question how many how many think that Moses' parents named him like, no, I'm not raising my hand. This is a trick question. Pastor, that's a question. My hand stays down. No, Pharaoh's parents did not name him. Uh, excuse me. Moses' parents did not name him. Pharaoh's daughter named him. Moses, what does it mean? Draw out. You see, a seed must go down before it comes up. It must be go down before it comes up before it can produce something. So God says, I'm going to put you down in a dark, solitary place where nobody knows you. Maybe nobody cares. Maybe nobody's noticing you. And it's solitude right now. But that's what the seed needs. The seed needs that dark soil. That's where it needs to be in that hidden place. And some of you hate it right now. You're so upset. You're so bothered. And God's like, that's where I'm going to produce the greatest harvest in your life. You're like a seed. And if you eat the seed, you'll skip the harvest. You say, what do you mean if I eat the seed? We eat seeds today. I love seeds. Every day I eat oatmeal and I put a bunch of chia seeds and I put other seeds and it's healthy and I don't know why I need to be healthy I'm like ah but my wife tells me you need to eat a healthy okay I'll eat healthy but we eat seeds and if you and I we eat the seed we're gonna miss the harvest you say what do you mean eat the seed you say how do I eat the seed a little thing on our phones called Instagram TikTok Facebook Twitter Truth Social all those social media platforms what are those things called where you can just look at everybody's comments? It's called a, you're so smart. Man, 
smart. It's not going to take you 80 years. It's called the feed. You eat the seed, you're going to miss the harvest. And some of you, you're like, I can't wait on God to promote me. I got to promote myself. I got to talk about my accomplishments. I got to project it. I got to act like my family is so good. My marriage is so good. And then because you propped up the lie, you cannot be honest about the real truth. And it locks you in shame. And you feel like I could never come out with my faults. So that's why you avoid life. That's why you avoid Sunday mornings. That's why you avoid things. Because you are walking in constant shame. Because you are projecting something that is not real. It's an illusion. Because you will not let God take you down into the dirt and get lonely with God and let God tell you what your identity is, not what culture or the world, not what any social media. You let God speak to you and let God tell you that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah, you messed up. Yeah, you jacked up. Yeah, you ratchet. But guess what? My righteousness, my righteousness can fix that. Yeah, you got some brokenness. But God says, I can do the work. Let the dirt do the work. You say, man, but nothing's happening in the dirt. Nothing's going on. See, no, no, no. Lots is going on. Lots is going on. So much is happening. You see, seeds are hidden before they're harvested. My son, he brought down a little science project or a project from kindergarten, and they had to put a little soybean into a styrofoam cup with some dirt. And you watch it every day and just look at it. Nothing's happening. Next day, nothing's happening. Next day, nothing's happening. About five, six days go by and something green started to poke its way out of that dark soil. And then he told everybody, look, something's happening. Immediately reaches in, grabs it, plucks it out. And I was like, ah, no, 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 you ruined it. And at the other end of that little soybean, there was this little gnarly little, little things growing out of it. I said, those are the roots. You just killed it. It's gone. Murderer kidding it's fun to mess with kids you're gonna have to pay for therapy later but hey it's all good and then he he didn't realize that no 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 things are happening you don't understand what god is doing guess what you can't even see what god is doing in your life when you're planning i can't see it so don't look for my validation don't look for somebody else in your family's validation you keep doing what god told you to do Nobody was on the backside of Midian saying, yeah, go Moses, go Moses. Come on, another day. One year down, 39 to go. Yeah, you go. Go go hang out around those sheep. See, the proof that the preparation is complete is when you can talk about what God has done. Because Saul said to David before he went to fight Goliath, who do you think you are? And he says, I slew a bear and I slew a lion. I'm prepared. What battles have you fought? in that dark season of your life. If you're not fighting battles, you are not prepared for what God has for you because God is going to take you through some difficult, hard times and you're going to come through it and you're going to say, I'm ready to fight another giant because here's what I've already done in my past because the proof of preparation is the battles that you've seen completed, the things that you learned, the things that God has taught you. What has God taught you? Here's a better question. Will you even allow God to plant you? Some of us are resisting going to dark places. You're resisting solitude, but a seed needs solitude. A seed needs it. It thrives on it. It grows. And it's in that growth that the seed comes up. And guess what, my friend? Here's the exciting part. When that seed produces a harvest, it never looks like a seed again. It never does. There's been what we call metamorphosis. It looks totally different. That seed went into the ground small, but it came up something green and leafy that has life to it. That's what God does in you. 
When you say, God, I'm, I'm frustrated with me. I don't like my anger, my temper, my lust, my drive. I don't like these things. And God says, okay, I'm going to bury you. When you come up, you're going to be different. You're going to be new. You're going to go through this process. And we have to say, God, I'm willing to go through that process. I'm willing to go through the solitude. And God says, all right, I'm going to work. A seed develops in solitude. But if I rush this, I will ruin it. So I need to rest rest in God's timing. 80 years of preparation went into 40 years of ministry. If you were to go to Israel today, one of the most revered people in all of their history who says, Jesus, you'd be wrong. John the Baptist, you'd be wrong. Elijah, close. David, close. The most revered person in all of that country is Moses. Even Jesus in his ministry had a fight against it. And it's still the same today. It's a bit unhealthy, but the fact is still the same. He prepared 80 years. And here we're talking about him thousands of years later. And that country holds him in high esteem. Moses? That man? Moses? You and I, we fight preparation, don't we? They say, prepare longer than what it'll take you to perform. And they even say, prepare double for any performance. Whatever you're going to do. Spend more time sharpening the axe than you do cutting. Spend more time on the front end than the back end. God right now is trying to get our church prepared to be for San Jose. We have this hotel ballroom. And God's like, you want a church of your own? How well are you going to take care of that ballroom that's not yours? That's called stewardship. How well are you going to get to love the neighbors around you? So I, I don't like them. I got the poorest of the poorer over there, homeless. And then I got the yuppies up on the hill looking down at me. I don't like none of them. <laughs> okay. God's like, that's what I've called you to. Are you going to reach them? Because if you're not, I'll go find a church that will. God is preparing us right now. I go back to the question that started this message. Abel actually said, hey, do you think it would take this long? But the reality is the question was an honest question, but it misses one simple truth. The fact is we're called to lead people to find and follow Jesus, not called to build buildings. As much as I want a building, that's not my calling. My calling is to lead people to find and follow Jesus. And we've been doing that since January 26, 2014, for eight and a half years. And we will continue to do that. We will continue to see people saved. We will continue to bring the light of the gospel. We will continue to reach the down and out, the up and out. We will continue to go after those that everybody else has abandoned because that is our calling. We've never stopped and we never will stop because that is our mission. And we've been accomplishing that. And guess what? There's no expiration date on that calling. We will continue to do that. That's what we're called to this morning. And so... Am I frustrated? Why? Because I want more? Yes, you want to see one more soul. You do want to see one more person saved. I'm tired of seeing people that pass away and go home and and don't know Jesus. I'm tired of people that you invite and they don't receive the gospel. I want to see that. I want to see our area known, not as a Silicon Valley, but as a place where God's church is first and foremost. I want to see that. It's a church. 
God's given us this opportunity to say, prepare for it. And let me say this as we close. Pastors cannot reach everybody. Can't. But people can. And God wants us as a people to reach people. And we together, if we're prepared, we can reach more. And when we're ready, we will reach more. But if we rush it, we will ruin it. And God may be speaking to you this morning saying, hey, are you trying to rush something? Because if you will trust my timing, you will reach more people. You will get there. It's going to happen. Be confident. I love that. Be confident. Touch your neighbor and tell him, be confident. Be confident. Some of you are like, be confident. That's part of the problem right there. We're not confident that God's going to complete it. So we go out and we say, Lord, I want to be confident. Can we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? We're going to prepare to take communion this morning. And I'm going to invite you in just a moment to slip out of your seat and to grab the communion elements. Because I believe God wants to take us into a new season. And we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. We need to ask God, help me with this season. And God will. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. God, you are worthy of all glory, of all honor, and all praise. But this is your season to control. And we want to see you do a great and mighty work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the worship team sings and plays, would you slip out and grab the elements, and then we'll all together take them in just a moment. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.